0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next in our uh, guest speakers uh, in the series of podcasts for Beyond Autism. And today we're lucky enough to have uh, none other than Nick Barrett, BCBA. Um, some of you may know Nick. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. Um, just, just a quick kind of rundown. Nick's currently director of Barrett's Behaviour Change Consultancy, and um, some of you may have met Nick in the context of being the chair of the ABA forums, and I think you were saying that was since 2008? That's right, yes. And you're a co-founder with uh, Sarah Wakelin, and some of you guys may know her from PBS Consultancy. Um, also, Nick's worked for, for a very large care provider serving over 3,500 people um, all over England and Wales. And that was going for about 10 years, I think you said. Um and also, gosh, you're a busy man, Nick. <laughs> you're chair of the PR and marketing committee for the UK SBA. And I know you were kind of very involved in the in, in the running of that and the uh, kind of since its inception, really. I know it's not been going on for a massive amount of time. How is that going? How are you? What's going on in, in your world right now?
1: It's <laughs> all going very well. Uh, I'm well. And uh, we actually met yesterday as a board, the UK SBA. So, yeah. Lots of, uh, uh, lots of things to work on, but everything's progressing as it should.
0: Yeah, of course. And presumably, you know, part of that work is uh, finding the solutions around the changes to the BACB's attitudes towards worldwide behaviour analysis. Is that kind of on your that, agenda? Yeah,
1: that's certainly one of our key goals at the moment. So lots of people in different committees in UKSBA are, are doing their part to to take that forward so that's um it's a it's a very it's an exciting time there's a lot of work involved but we're really we're really looking forward to the whole development of that UK credential
0: yeah I mean the hand's been forced slightly I suppose but yeah I I agree I think it's one of those things that you know it's a necessity probably and um hopefully we were able to establish ourselves it was very good work well thanks for that thanks for your involvement I appreciate that. that must be a massive piece of work yeah. Um, so today we've come together to talk about, uh, initially, um, we, we had a conversation beforehand and one of the things that you've been working on in the past and currently and, and obviously is behaviour analysts that work more in the community, um, thinking about how one makes be- uh, behavioural analysis work in non-behavioural settings, um, which I thought was a really interesting topic. Do so you just kind of want to lead us into that and, and, and your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, so that's been... Well, actually, I've been doing this for a while now, and, and I've never, probably with one or two exceptions, actually, uh, almost uh, for the entirety of my career, I've been working in non-ABA settings. So, yeah, and uh, which 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 is which is great. There's, um, it's something I enjoy a, a great deal, but it's obviously does require. Uh, a different way of of, of approaching uh, behavioural analytic assessment, intervention,
0: maintenance, and so on? Gosh, this is, this is a big question. Like, So Nick Barrett, BCBA, Director of behavior, uh, Barrett's Behaviour Change Consultancy, goes into a new organisation, or, you know, being part of a larger organisation for a long, long period of time, what were your kind of first... First steps, first considerations, what did you learn along the way? That sort of thing. Yeah. So
1: I think and this I guess this applies to any any type of undertaking, but it's being it's being really clear on on what it is you're you're trying to achieve. So to and and thinking about what you need to do, thinking about our own behaviour as as practitioners or or consultants. Uh, in in service of that goal, so uh, I guess it's probably useful to, to use a bit of an example to set set the scene Good. there. So if it was, let's say that it's a uh, a social care setting, and it's it's uh, supported living for uh, an adult whose behaviour can be challenging, and let's say this is a a, a staffed service, so it's staffed on a for example, a 24/7 basis. And what you're often doing is you're you're going in as a, a consultant. You're helping to uh, uh, create a behaviour support program, and and you're and you may well be uh, involved in implementing that upfront. But at some point, you will be handing over to uh, the, the mediators, the, the carers. So one of your goals will certainly be that that staff will be able to implement that person's behavior support program with a sure. high level of procedural integrity. So it's being clear on, on what you want to achieve uh, up front. And then I, I guess I'll start with a few don'ts, actually, because okay, what, good. What, and some of this is learning the hard way. You know, when I, I started out sort of fresh out of university and, and it's also a lot of what I've done certainly over the last ten to twelve years has been managing other BCBA's, non-BCBA's, and uh,
0: uh, helping them to do exactly what we're we're talking about now. Yes, yeah, so absolutely. So they were in, and um, they would have been working in those types of settings that you're describing. Yep, that's okay. right.
1: So some um, some working for care providers, some in. Uh, CAMs teams, so child and adolescent mental health, some intensive support teams in 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 uh, in, uh, in local authorities and so on. And one of the one of the key key don'ts is is to avoid the use of of technical language. We, we do have quite a, a technical language in, in, in that field, and and it's and it's it's absolutely essential, but it has a it has a very clear purpose and it's to facilitate communication between behavior analysts not between behavior analysts and lay people people with no behavior analytic knowledge and and it, uh, it's bad for rapport and rapport is key we really want to be uh, uh developing good relationships with with mediators with the, with the client themselves with the people uh, around them so I think, uh, coming back to that earlier point about thinking about our goal, what, our, what, what behaviors we need to engage in in order to achieve that, I think it's good to reflect a little bit. So what, what might the function of our own behavior be if we speak to someone with no training about applied behavior analysis, about condition motivating operations or, or discriminative stimuli? I would argue it's maybe not taking forward that goal of uh, uh helping them know what to do uh when they're providing that direct support
0: but why ever not Nick? i mean goodness sake! that's only going to take you you know hours and hours and hours and hours to teach i mean i think it's a bit lazy, indeed. To be
1: honest. indeed <laughs> and i think i think a linked point is that um and I've, I've seen some people do this with you know with the right intentions but uh, overteaching the principles so uh, I, I I happen to think that there's a value in uh, certain situations of carers understanding three term contingency it's a it's a, a very useful model for anyone uh, when it comes to understanding behavior I think it can help avoid unhelpful attributions particularly when it comes to behaviors that, that challenge but sure. but would for example, a carer who, uh, let's say the function of someone's self-injurious behavior is to get uh, some kind of social contact, so it's maintained by social positive reinforcement, yes. and we and we, as the consultants, okay, just make sure for now, whilst we're teaching the person an alternative skill, that you just provide plenty of attention proactively, so on a, on a time-based schedule, that they need to know that in addition to this, they're working at the level of the motivating operation. I would argue they don't. It's not a, we're not teaching a course uh, on, on, on ABA. So I think there it's, uh, I've started with a couple of don'ts. I so will come to the do's, but it, these are um, errors in my view that, that people can make.
0: How would you respond to those who may say, and I, I, I assume you've probably experienced this, but maybe you haven't. So this could be hypothetical, could be real. Those that may say, "Well, that's not behavioural analysis, then that's not ABA." I would, I would draw their attention
1: to one of the key principles in our field: function. Uh, what, what, what is it? What's the function uh, of what you're trying to do here? Yeah. And, and if if you think of, if you look at our ethical co- code, uh, number one on the list is well-being of the client. So for me. What, what you're doing, if I can, if if I know that a staff team would would buy into the strategies that I've worked with them and with the clients to develop, if I use language they understand, whilst stri- whilst staying true to the principles, then uh, in my view that is behaviour analysis. So that 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 would that would be my answer
0: and I, it's funny because I, I, um, i've had similar experiences and maybe not quite so as um you know uh systemic to my work as, as possibly yours um but certainly one of the things that i always talk about with people anyway is well what about your data i mean if you've got good outcomes then surely what you're doing is is is, is mm-hmm. worthwhile Is intervention is is supportive mm. you know and sometimes I think you know it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting uh, dynamic where you can go into a space as a consultant and not speak the jargon as it were in in you know all the settings that you've listed or others some schools in fact um and you get as good outcomes with working with strategies that you know are based on behavioral principles mm. but there is something about I think about making sure that if you're if you're a come in fade out service, that you're able to you're fairly confident that the people that are left behind when you're not there anymore mm. do have some grasp of the principles. so They don't start making erroneous decisions around, um, I, I don't know some of the some of the common areas that you might see in, in kind of mm. non-behavioural settings, I suppose. Because uh, to be honest with you, I spend a spend spend a lot of time thinking about behaviour skills training, getting people up to speed and <clears throat> being able to function, as you say, within the, within the context of the, uh, the uh, client group or, or care home or, or what have you that they're working in. And there's a small part of me that thinks, okay, so it tends to be more discrete projects that come and do X and y. I really hope that I taught that well. So, so as a behaviour analyst, you think, okay, cool. There's something about data that gives you outcomes there's also something about that whole idea around behavior skills training, whatever you might call it, mm. support perhaps, or kind of more of the kind of more, um, I guess, subtle, subtle parts of the sort of PBS type of support that knowing, how do I know that I'm going to leave that situation mm. robustly um, as I move on? Or, or is there no answer to that?
1: No, I think it's a very good question. And actually that really, that goes to the heart of your, earlier question uh what do you say to people who would argue that unless you explain the terminology unless you explain uh the even the underpinning philosophy of science it's not it's not behavior analysis so so for me you could and again it come it it really comes down to uh what our field is about observable behavior if if you so for me let's let's hypothetical situation you have someone who teaches um, using a behavioral skills training approach teaches someone how to uh deliver uh attention on a fixed time schedule every half an hour okay and and they use lots of terminology see that so they go into the four-term contingency they make distinctions between motivating operations and discriminative stimuli there's a lot of emphasis on this okay Someone else teaches behavioural skills training. They follow the four steps. So you've got your uh, instructions. Everything's done properly. You've got your modelling. You demonstrate the strategy. You've got the rehearsal and you've got the feedback. All of that's done. They use no, no terminology. For me, that in itself, you could argue maybe doesn't matter very much. I think it could impact a little bit on rapport and just people possibly get in the way of the learning. But surely... The, the ultimate test of whether or not those different approaches worked is whether people now have a, have acquired the uh, strategy to competence. So so for me that's the that's the ultimate test. And if there are people who find that talking about you know the the, the technical language and sharing underlying principles helps with that, fantastic. It's it's not been my experience and, and I liken it I liken it to this is something we probably all uh, come across at some point in our lives. You, you have to go to a medical appointment and you get a doctor who explains it in lay terms. Okay, And you go away feeling reassured. You got it. You didn't have to ask a load of questions versus going to that medical appointment with a doctor who blinds you with medical terminology. It, it, uh, it, first of all, what we often think is, wow that's a little bit flash who are they trying to impress (laughs) and then we have to spend most of our time asking what they actually mean so I think I think for me that's um I think and and it's um it's based on I guess how I started out and you know loving the terminology like we all do how I've seen others start out for me it's a barrier when you're working in a non-behavioral setting
0: it's interesting I I I, I I mean I pose a question to you. Do you sometimes then think that the the um, one of the co-occurring priorities? Because of course the services are going to be the priority, aren't they? But like the co-occurring priorities, I suppose, in this kind of idea of contingency mapping, is that the there's a culture change. Mm-hmm. I was, we were talking to um, uh, Pat McGreevy and Troy Fryer in a different podcast, and they and they one of the pieces of work that they want to consider is is some kind of protocols around. How do you change culture? Um, which I thought was super interesting. But my point was, is that do, do you, would you agree the same? Like often, certainly within the supervision frameworks, I, I'm, I'm trying to get people to think about just label things well. It's a first job as a behaviour analyst. I see this and I see this in the environment, and now you're trying to find the links between the two. Mm. Do you find then that you one of a good outcome for you would be a, a setting that could then ask better questions of themselves as being a good outcome
1: yeah i think that in in uh, in the context of behavioral intervention that there it's often the case that unless you address broader contextual variables like culture that you you actually won't achieve a successful outcome that, mm. that that's that's my view And uh, I I think that I think a lot of us, we figure this out uh, after years of uh, implementing behavioral interventions. And it was certainly something that occurred to me uh, a few years in, I guess, uh, that that if you can you can look at the immediate contingencies that's something we always do so we do our functional behavior assessments we look at immediate contingencies that's absolutely necessary and should always happen mm-hmm. but if we don't look at the broader contextual variables so the the skills the values of implementers the policies that govern a particular setting there there could be policies that are actually at odds with the intervention you're suggesting if yes. we don't look at that then uh it, it, i think we greatly reduced the likelihood of a successful outcome. And it was when I started paying attention more to that and maybe getting involved in some of the uh, uh addressing some of the factors that we wouldn't automatically get involved in as consultants that I, I saw
0: I saw better outcomes. It's interesting you bring that up actually because I <clears throat> I know it's part of your role within the um ABA forum is that you're you're I find you your your Uh, way of working to be incredibly facilitative so you you know the links that you send out that kind of keeps people really abreast actually I think of what's going on in the ABA world locally and slightly more further afield actually you know kind of nationwide anyway and it reminds me of the work that you kind of um, asked for. uh, helps Lux Consultancy get in terms of participants, and seeing those the questions that they're asking about designing a tool for, I think, practitioners yeah. to yeah. go into settings that kind of almost assess the whole picture of whether or not something's going to work. In that is, I mean, I don't know where that will land and what it will look like in the end, but certainly having kind of had something to do with the data capture, mm-hmm. it, it was really interesting to see those types of questions coming through and how important they were to the um, to the field. Yeah,
1: I think this will be this will be uh, a, a really useful tool uh, when it's when it's um, uh, out there ready and fully fully developed because it really does it, it really does look at those contextual variables that I think can often get missed. So it looks at uh, does the uh, environment where the intervention is being implemented does it does it support that intervention? So, uh, in terms of resources, in terms of capacity, in terms of policies, and what what's going on in the wider organisation, yeah, we're, we're we're looking now um, to develop that further. So there'll be, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing where where that goes.
0: Uh, it was just a really uh, great thing to see being investigated because you just mm. feel like it's missed slightly. And it's often the subject of conversation, isn't it? Oh, I wish, you know, we, um, or rather, I don't know how we're going to fade out of a service because culturally there they rely on us, or or something along those lines. Okay, great. So look, you've highlighted a couple of don'ts, like look, predominantly around terminology, predominantly around, I guess, breaking your neck to have everybody in there being, you know, qualified in some description outside of their ordinary ordinary roles. Yeah do you have any other kind of don'ts in there or is or is that pretty much cover it for you uh I should,
1: yeah i should probably go to some do shouldn't i uh, helpfully we've talked about culture um, which which i think uh, is i think it's such a good area for behavior analysts to get into i think what's really good about our science is that we we can take Concepts that are possibly a bit nebulous on the surface and operationally define them. So how uh, lots of organizations are looking at how they can get their staff to live their values. So a value might be respect or or autonomy or or integrity or something like that. And what we're good at is actually breaking those down into uh, observable behaviors so, so we've talked a little bit about that. I think to 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 summarise that, rather than go over it, would be um, do look beyond the immediate contingencies, and and if you find yourself, obviously, stay within uh, the limits of your competence. But if you find yourself maybe helping teams come up with better systems around shift planning, um, don't don't despair. Don't think that you're not being a behaviour analyst. Because you can certainly, certainly explain what you're doing, uh, uh, behaviorally in terms of maybe addressing uh, uh, an abolishing operation for your strategies. So something that actually decreases motivation to do what the staff need to be doing. Uh, do look at capacity. Uh, it, it's, it's certainly we have to be making sure people have the skills they need to, to implement your strategies. I'll, I'll say a bit more about that in a minute, but, but also do they have the capacity to do it? And that links a little bit with this idea of, does the wider organization support what it is that, that people are doing? There could be a service manager who uh, really doesn't get behavior support and, and is emphasizes paperwork uh, and uh, every, everything being in place um, uh, in, in terms of uh, uh, regulation and so on, which whilst important, could could take people away from actually doing the day-to-day support. And these are things that you might might want to work on if you if you want your strategies actually to be implemented.
0: You've not worked generally speaking you've not worked in behavioral settings or, or oh yes yes that's yes. right and and your role would have been to uh, go in there and and have a positive effect and positive change and possibly uh, looking at more intrinsic systems different types of data captures to give the right information you know i can i can kind of picture it mm-hmm. what i'm struggling to do because I, I mean i've had these struggles is how do you as a behavioral analyst maintain your sense of you know, fluent technical language use? Because obviously, I know what you're saying, like professionally speaking, that's where you've angled yourself. And that's, you know, it's absolutely great that you do that because the world's a better place for it. But I know that I spent quite a lot of time working in a local authority setting. When I came out of it to do other things, I was like, okay, now I'll do a little bit of supervision. And I found myself a bit rusty. So, you know, where where do you... (laughs) It's it's really
1: interesting you're asking that. So you talked about the Applied Behaviour Analysis Forum. And and that was the reason initially that Sarah and it was actually uh, uh, Georgiana Barzi was also involved in, in in getting it going at the start. So that was the reason the three of us started it. It obviously became something much much bigger as okay, time went on. But sense. we wanted to we wanted some peer supervision. But we wanted we, we, we I remember having this discussion all these years ago and, and saying, wow, we're losing all of our technical language which is important so so we said let's get together and the early days of ABAF were more about presenting cases and getting feedback and the requirement was you you uh use the technical language and you are conceptually systematic and and so on as 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 times moved on it's become um, more about presentations and workshops and uh, and so on so that that was number 1 mixing with people and using the the scientific language providing supervision so that's something that i've i've done regularly uh for about the last last 12 years and and actually when uh when i start working with a new supervisee we, we have this very discussion about keeping that language alive okay. and and so i say to them if ever Uh, I hear them talking about strategy they've implemented or, interestingly, uh, a cultural issue that is uh, proving to be a bit of an obstacle. We then explain that. So we link it to principles and we use the technical language. So that's yeah. But you have to make a conscious effort to do this. (laughs)
0: <laughs> because you have to make a conscious effort to not do it and this is the thing it's exactly like you, find...
1: you teach yourself to do it in one context and and not in another
0: I, i've also found myself seeking uh, i I'd sort of um, in this particular i've like, I, I worked with a particular authority for, for quite a while on and off and one of the directors there when we she said to me once once we when you first met i couldn't understand a word you were saying and i thought i was quite good at it at that point so she's my yardstick so every now and again i'll be like oh um so how was that? That makes that all makes sense. Like, you know, you're good. But everyone gets it now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I look at a lot, a lot, a lot of nodding and a lot of kind of. I don't know what he Um Anyway, yeah, it's, it's definitely a skill to learn. And perhaps we ought to have uh, some kind of, I don't know, BST or something along those lines for ourselves. So can you can you explain that behavioural principle in a way that would it be palatable to a to a non non uh, non behaviour analyst perhaps? Okay. Awesome. So, do's.
1: Yeah. So, I guess uh, I guess I mentioned uh, building rapport. So, <clears throat> excuse me. A lot of people listening to this will be familiar with the idea of establishing ourselves as a condition reinforcer. That's sure. I, I, and and I think this is fantastic. It's a, a good rapport. Is a it's like an all-purpose establishing operation for the behaviors you want to see in, in others. And so I think that's important. How do you do that? Genuinely listen to people, uh, uh, practice your active listening skills, and, mm. and, and genuinely value people's contributions. And, and I always, uh, I, I, I always remember uh, Aubrey Daniels, a famous uh, OBM practitioner, yes. and him him saying uh, he, he came over and spoke a few years back, and he was saying that. Often, what he's doing, he's just getting together with uh, a group of employees and saying, "Look, here's here's what we need to fix. You know, how do we go about it?" And and really listening to people, and a bit of guidance is is required. That's when we're going to bring in uh, a, a behavioural way of taking things forward. But quite often, people uh, have, have figured out uh, what what they need to do, and even if they haven't, there 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 will always be something they tell you that that helps you take forward that that intervention so building rapport uh key absolutely key putting in place uh, putting in place strategies that that support implementation so okay. many of us know that that one of the big challenges is is maintenance of effects so a uh, consultant goes in they implement an intervention uh, things go well for a while whilst they're around, whilst they're giving people feedback. Uh, they withdraw. Not always. Sometimes things do maintain, but some sometimes they don't. Reminders that pop up on someone's phone. If there's a shift handover system, link that to the assignment of a particular staff member to deliver uh, a particular strategy. You know, we 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 talk we hear a lot about practice leadership. That's mm. another area where. Uh, behavior analysis is, is a huge amount to offer so getting i've worked with practice leaders who, who can be they can be senior staff they can be peers as well i've done that a lot I actually got um lots of sort of peer support peer prompting a peer a practice leader will be there to check that that someone's doing what what they need to be doing and providing feedback and people need to be taught how to how to do that so if you think of what i've just described the uh, the prompts, there that, that that those are our antecedents. Uh, the feedback that, that those are our consequences. So so we're applying the science to uh, uh, ways of supporting the ongoing implementation of a of a strategy. Right. So
0: just something you said something just piqued the question in my mind, and it, it might be. I mean, I'm I'm sure there are going to be kind of evidence based representations of this, but I just wondered what your your thoughts were. Notwithstanding the subject matter and the complications of what people see and work with on the front line, you, you are describing essentially a solid knowledge of everything that goes to constitute and antecedent and the consequence because then you can start mm-hmm. thinking about the environmental arrangements. Cool, so if we accept that that's broadly the culture change generally in these sorts of settings, do you think then that the most effective way to achieve culture change is bottom up or top down in yeah. terms of structures? I think you need both. If it can be,
1: it can be useful to to start with the the, the senior management in mm. an organisation because if you so to, to to answer this question properly, so if in the context of behavioural intervention that frontline staff will implement, yes, they have to be taught how to do that. Yes, they have to have the kind of strategies that we've just talked about in place to to prompt them to do that, to make sure that they get the right type of feedback. So to keep their behaviour going of delivering the strategy. So there has to be work with them. But none of that will amount to anything if it's not supported by their manager, by their manager's manager and by the wider organization, it it will fall apart. So what you're often looking at doing is uh, what in uh, OBM, organizational behavior management, is referred to as an alignment meeting. So what's the goal? We've established the goal. It's the uh, um, successful implementation of this behavior support program and the outcomes that relate to that. Moving along, what do the staff need, the frontline staff, to be able to do that? It's a skills training, skills training all of our systems and so on what does their manager need to be doing to support their implementation what does their manager need to be doing and it has to work all, all the way uh, along there you can i've come across s- situations where it's been a loan service in a big organization and because they're um uh, quite contained uh, because the manager didn't have large spans of control so could could really be in that service um being a a real practice leader where they've just managed to achieve a successful outcome without much interaction with the uh, rest of the organization but i think i think that's rare i think you need all of it but yeah you're often i think you're often working with uh the leaders the practice leaders particularly when you withdraw and you want that to keep going someone needs to be there uh making this
0: happen so it's interesting what you say there around the, um, the bottom up, top down, I, I guess, paradigm in a lot of ways. Because surely you're going to have to be aware of all the different layers of contingencies that exist from front lines to middle management to the kind of to, to the top. I mean, if it, do you find yourself having to overtly plan for that? So, for example, you would necessarily talk to an owner about. A frontlines person experience, or would you, or, or and maybe vice versa? Would you talk to a frontline you know, colleague about the bigger picture for this for the organisation?
1: I would focus more on what people need to know, and uh, actually more accurately what they need to do. So if, so using uh, the example that we started with, if you've got um, frontline staff implementing someone's strategies. What we would want the service manager to have are good practice leader skills. And that's really being able to set clear expectations. One of them will be that you implement strategies as, as directed. Uh, it would be definitely being able to give helpful feedback. And by helpful, I mean people are getting it right. person notices that and, and provides some feedback. If, if the frontline staff member is struggling, then they feedback in the right way and help them uh, help problem solve that in whatever way is required. Why is it that that's not happening? Uh, Is it a resource issue? Is it a capacity issue? Is it a skill issue? And then uh, solving that, that whatever problem that might be. Uh, In terms of that manager's manager, then it's making sure they're checking that they're doing what we've just described. And you can have, uh, that can be something that's done quite informally uh, in one-to-one. So one thing I've done to to really make that concrete, rather than just leave it at, please make sure that the service manager provides good feedback, is actually to include that in whatever form they use to conduct their one-to-ones. So there there are ways you can introduce prompts. So that's that's essentially an antecedent prompt there and an opportunity to have a discussion that leads to feedback. So there are quite straightforward. And uh, I, I guess practical ways of of generating the kind of behaviours that that will help at each level when it comes to whatever the goal of that organisation is. And that and that it, it, important to say that this applies to whatever industry you're you're looking at. So it it, it is really important to be um, making sure that everyone who needs to be working towards this particular goal is
0: is doing doing their bid yeah and that, that's quite hard isn't it because i think the natural tendency for people who work under duress is probably to represent their struggles as being the fault of someone else right yeah i being I mean, work too hard i'm not being paid enough uh the area manager is making my job impossible in terms of time scales and so on So becomes a resourcing issue. Do you you find yourself particularly having to kind of address that issue, maybe even just attitudinally on on the ground? Just you know, if you make a mistake, don't worry. I just need to know because we that then informs how the environment is affecting behaviour. Do you see what I mean? Like the types of questions that behaviour analyst might ask, I think sometimes can be quite affronting. I.e., why did you do that? (laughs) Yeah. I do you think that behaviour happened because of what you did, you know, and obviously I'm being a bit, um, you know, I'm emphasising particular words for, for dramatic effect. But um, generally speaking, they are the types of questions that a is asked, like what in this environment mm-hmm. is wrong, what's right, you know, and, and sort of developing, I guess, culturally an acceptance that you're simply seeking an answer to help inform either intervention or support or, or training or what have you. Have you found a way to um, embark on the same line of questioning with the same function, but maybe a different topographical presentation?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good question. And and it comes up a lot, uh, this whole question of how, how how do you how do you give feedback? And 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 the truth is it's we absolutely need to be providing feedback when someone engages in the desired behavior so we're talking about staff now but we do have to provide feedback when uh they don't do it uh in the right way and uh, i've approached this in in uh, i guess a a few different ways i'm i think that as with lots of things having that upfront discussion helps so if you're and it's not, it's not difficult to um, convey the spirit in which you're going about this. So, for example, by saying that this is what, what we're trying to achieve. None of us are perfect. We, we, we will all get this wrong. There might even be times that I come here as the consultant and cause an incident because I didn't do things properly. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're human. That, that's absolutely fine. what helps is if we can help each other to get it right. Okay. And here's a way of doing that. So so introduce it in the right way and and then get people used to providing it. So we talked about behaviour skills training. I, I teach that to frontline staff and, and, and the purpose is that they the purpose of doing that is so that they get used to providing and receiving feedback. <laughs> That's the other thing, is not just it's not just giving it, it's how, how to receive it. What do you do when someone uh, uh, says to you, okay. Um, that could have been better. The other thing that I'm often doing is if you have some kind of plan that you're working to, is use that as the basis for feedback. So, okay, Andrew, I saw that with steps one, two, and three, that was exactly as it says here. But step four, you did something a little bit different. Can you tell me why, just so I understand? That's, that's your way into that, that discussion. I already feel like I'm in trouble, Nick. <laughs> in, in that case, I failed miserably to make you feel at ease. <laughs>
0: no no I, I totally get your point uh, funnily enough I, I kind of um, some of my experiences with school YPBS on, on a smaller scale with a particular cohort has been referring to almost like the third body party of, of rule government behaviour in the case of mm-hmm. this sort of thing saying oh guys I didn't get the reinforcements together because this happened and oh sorry like these are the rules and yeah. it's not your fault or it's not me it's just these are the rules yeah. and it's you know that kind of idea yeah great i mean it's, it's just it's just definitely challenging isn't it because of course the advantage of working in a behavioral organization is that everybody expects that you know if you walk in from your you know day one of induction as as frontline, is uh, this is how this place these types of places work so people from the get-go are, are ready for to give and receive feedback and of course the um yeah, we, we've talked a lot about staff, I think, but of course, you know, a lot of the reinforcements will come from the, how well or how happy or how engaged or how, you know, um, successful the quality of life might be for, you know, uh, somebody you're working with, whether that be in education or otherwise setting. Okay, amazing. Is there anything else that you would kind of add? So we've, we've talked about, you know, let's not blind everybody with science from a, from a don'ts point of view. You've taken us through a journey of, uh, don't forget the basics of rapport building into, you know, establishing a culture shift potentially, uh, making sure that all echelons are aware of what's going on and that actually they will facilitate and service your role. Because, of course, I suppose part of not providing behavioural services is also, you know, this is going to be a waste of money or time if nobody's engaged. Mm, mm. Um, and elements of behaviour skills training, but not kind of breaking people's backs over stuff and up like being kind of an alongside companion in working with, you know, a challenging client base. I mean, let's face it, we, that's where we yeah. tend to be positioned. Is there anything else that you would add to the kind of, to the do's, possibly around reinforcement or possibly around other things?
1: I, I guess, I, I guess maybe a way of tying that all up is is just to provide a bit of uh, a bit of support for this this way of looking at it, so particularly uh, looking at those uh, wider systemic variables. So, uh, some years back, I was involved in some research that was led by Professor McGill, at the mm-hmm. Tizard Centre, wow. and this looked at a a, a model of setting-wide positive behaviour support in a big organisation. It was one of the very few randomised controlled trials that we see in our field. Uh, and it looked at sort of 20-odd services, and uh, some were randomly assigned to a group that didn't receive the setting PBS, Others received it. Uh, it ran over about a year. And what it did, it was built around uh, a model that had eight domains. Five were very much sort of related to uh, uh, the, the people on the receiving end of interventions. So it was to do with activities and skills development, communication, and so on, relationships. Mm-hmm. But but three were very much about those uh, contextual variables that we that, that wouldn't normally fall under the heading of immediate contingencies. So we had um, service management, service staff, and wider organisation. So it was great because it really directed people to come up with with goals and steps for achieving them in all of those domains so they so they actively targeted you know the broader contextual variables and at, at now and bearing in mind it was a service level pbs intervention it wasn't really there were individual elements but it was about how as a service can we improve the pbs we provide so if you think of it, it i guess it's similar to uh, school-wide pbs and that first tier So at the end of this, in comparison between groups, there was a 50% reduction, actually a little bit more than that, in challenging behaviour as measured sort of pre and and post. It was a bigger reduction than any other similar study. So I share that with you as, as I guess, a way of supporting an approach that does look at those
0: broader contextual variables. We'll have to look that up and have it as a reference for the listeners if we can find it. That sounds like a really... uh interesting thing for people to really kind of get their teeth into, especially when you get that massive effect sizes like that. Mm. Brilliant. Okay, well, it's interesting you should bring up the idea around contextual and and environmental changes and, of course, how that, I guess, changes priorities and perspectives because if it's not too clumsy a segue, I'd like to talk to you about something else that we discussed when we were kind of, you know, having our kind of uh, pre-conversation about this. And this is kind of around... Uh, well-being and um, the current climate around kind of COVID and predominantly working from home actually because a lot of us are finding ourselves doing it, I know I am and expect you are to a certain extent because broadly speaking in our roles we are necessary but slightly on the periphery and people don't necessarily want to you know, interrupt their bubbles or however the people are approaching it so I know you've had some thoughts and work on well-being and working from home from a behavioural point of view. So, you know, t- tell us about your, your thinking there or your experiences so far. Yeah,
1: again, it's uh, actually one of the reasons that mm-hmm. I became a board member for the UK SBA is just because I I, I really want to see ABA used more broadly. And, yeah. and I think this is, is a, a perfect example of how we can help society. So, so, as you say, um, a huge contextual change with uh, the advent of COVID-19. Lots of people working from home. Uh, lots of challenges that, mm. that go along with that. And and working from home, it's it, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting topic in itself, anyway, because there, prior to COVID, research says that it's it, there can be some challenges. Lots of positives, but. Some of the challenges are that it's harder to avoid work-life spillover. Some mm. people feel isolated if they're spending all their weeks at home, even though you know they may have families and may be living with people. Their working day takes up quite, quite a large proportion of your life, if you think about it, and, mm. and struggle a bit with that. With COVID, now we've got people who perhaps are working from home for the first time they're, uh, they're working from home with family members, their partners. Um, I've heard a phrase, a colleague used the phrase uh, a month or so back that stuck in my mind, um, bandwidth conflicts. I think that's going to enter into our, our <laughs> lexicon now. and, and also people having to be teachers as, as well as parents. And then on top of all of that, some of the activities that, that we know are good for well being uh, because, researchers told us they are, uh, are harder to do because of social distancing. So actually uh, connecting with others, socializing, mm. um, going to the gym, exercise, physical activity is good for well-being. So so lots of challenges. And and I think how, how I've been uh, approaching this mm. is, and it's something I've done a little bit of on and off over the years, but it's certainly become a bigger focus recently, has been how can... How can behavioral science, how can behavior analysis help us maintain our own well-being? And and that, I think you can probably refine that even more to say, how can we make those well-being enhancing activities part of our everyday patterns of behavior? Mm. I think that's the key. That's the, the key to this. It's most of us want to, you know, eat in a more healthy way, exercise more and and so on and and changing behavior is hard you know otherwise we'd all be doing it you know with a snap of our our fingers and i think what's great about our science is there are there are lots and lots of strategies for uh uh taking that intention that a lot of us have uh and actually actually making it happen well that's
0: interesting because on on a number of levels this whole concept of striking whilst the iron's hot as it were um, and I actually just before I go into that, I actually take your point around competing contingencies in the home environment I and mean, that, that that is unreal to manage and really quite a challenge in a lot of ways. Um, when you I've got a dog, it sounds like you have one <laughs> um, kids essentially, you know, an office or a computer that's available to you that, that sees you working into the middle of the night because you decided to spend time with your family in the daytime. You know, that type of idea those complete mm-hmm. contingencies, whereas you have those separations in different environments. They select different behaviours. So it's no wonder we're all going a bit mad. But in any case, striking whilst the iron's hot. I'm, I'm sure you would have been in rooms where, or conferences, or streams and conferences where people are saying, you know, behaviour analysis really could have helped with that. Um, And to a certain extent, you know, you need a bit of pre-understanding of what's about to come around the corner. So maybe we can add psychic abilities to our repertoires. But in any case, not wishing to sound morbid, but the the COVID-19 situation seems to be here for a while now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's already been here for a while. There's already many, many different impacts in society about it, ranging from economics to education and so on. But do you think there's enough time or do you think there's enough going on yet? Or do you think this will be a galvanization to get people ready for the next thing that comes our way for behavioural just to have an impact? Because it feels difficult to mobilise, to react, or have a have an environment where our our um, skill sets and repertoires can land and be effective. Mm. Yeah. How, how do we go from you know you and I could talk about all the things that we could do to enable people to have a better you know um work-life balance in the home but in terms of it contributing more broadly more readily to the to society at large how do you think we take that step as a field into that type of thing i,
1: I think that in many ways we've got to play the long game with that so if, if uh, and we mentioned the uk society for behavior analysis a few times and if you think that that's that's been running for you know less than a decade here we're Mm. as a science you know the science has been around for a while but as a profession we're pretty new and and i think that in terms of um our impact more broadly on society in a way that i guess is quite explicitly acknowledged um that could be a little bit further down the road i think there are things that that uh, are happening. They're not. It's not always referred to as behaviour analysis, uh, but I think I think it is. It is very behavioural. And and I think that in terms of what what can we do about that? Organizations like UKSBA have been quite strategic in 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 terms of how we make that happen. You you know about the voluntary register, trying to increase numbers. You know about accredited registers and. The work that's going on there. So steps are being taken uh, to raise awareness of what we do, uh, to popularise it in areas where maybe that's needed as well. So I think it's I think it's happening. I think getting the word out uh, a, a, as much as possible. So so trying to talk to non-behaviour analytic communities. Uh, so it's not an echo chamber. I think that's quite yes. quite important as well. That and, and, that, and that happens. <laughs> I think that I think it's happening here here and there. Um, it, there there are a few things uh, recently in my small way that uh, I've tried to do there. So um, I did a talk for a firm of solicitors
0: mm-hmm. who
1: uh, were putting on uh, these these weekly uh, Zoom calls for all of their clients. And, and we talked about some of the things we'll be coming to now about well-being and so on. Uh, I did a, a, an interview for someone's YouTube channel talking about a range of topics. And, and some of the topics were uh, um, uh, attributional bias. I might not be giving it, calling it exactly the right, right thing, but um, areas that I'm not in any way an expert on, but was providing a behavioral perspective. So I think where possible, um, making use of those opportunities. So looking at, um, uh, sectors that we may be working. So f- for myself, it's always really been health and social care. And mm. I have a plan moving forward to be going to more conferences that are in health and social care, but not behavior analytic, uh, and maybe looking to, looking to talk there. So I think, I think it will happen. And, and I think what we need to do is just be looking for those opportunities maybe a little bit more.
0: Yeah, and strategic thinking around how you define yourselves, how we, you, you, we, one, defines themselves mm-hmm. in the field because you do get in this betwixt and between to an extent where you don't want to, you know, blind people with the science and differentiate differentiate yourself in that way as being, you know, something that's hard to understand, but then by the same token, being so well understood and embedded that people don't realise you're there. <laughs> So kind of yeah. strike that balance which is obviously you know I think you should be part of the conversation so look, I, I digress slightly because I took us off, off topic a little bit but like the idea of you know what has been your kind of advice to people around this delineating the issues around working from home during this period and and you know how do we kind of consider well-being in this time well I think it's
1: important to acknowledge the fact that it's not a, a lot of what we do on a day-to-day basis, is quite habitual. So uh, we we would think of it as um, probably in terms of behavioural change. So mm-hmm. if I if I think of my morning routine, so morning routines uh, I think are good good examples of this. So uh, I get up, the alarm goes off. I get up. I go downstairs. I get my coffee ready. Don't actually pour it. I uh, get it into the cafeteria, and then i take my dog into the garden to go go to the toilet i come back i drop my partner off to work so there, there's a there there's this very set set routine and i don't spend time we don't spend time when we're engaged in those very everyday habitual routines making decisions about what comes next so really if you think of it as a behavioral chain Uh, The end of uh, of one behavior is the is the SD for the for the next behavior in that chain. So we don't to to veer into a a mentalistic description just for a moment. It's we don't need to think about it. We don't need to make decisions. Okay, these things just just happen. So so I think important to acknowledge that because that that is often why we struggle to to uh, acquire that new positive behavior, that new positive habit which might be to exercise more or connect connect with people more. So if if it is more an issue of implementation of breaking into those behavioral changes than it is one of intention then the first step is to make a very simple implementation plan. Write it down. That seems to be better than just holding it in mm-hmm. your own head. But what but, and it's a really simple what where when how plan. So what are the behaviors I need to engage in maybe on a daily basis maybe even more than that a few times a day to be happy healthy and calm it's a kind of well-being definition there um how will I make that happen you know when and where so some basics to begin with you might want to think of you know smart goals uh and so on so so to to use an example let's say uh, your uh, regularly went to the gym to do a yoga class. Okay, you can't do that now because of COVID 19. And so you decide that under this sort of heading of what, where, when, and how, you're going to buy uh, a yoga DVD and you'll, you'll exercise to it for 30 minutes a day, once a day. And that is one of the things you need to do for your uh, well being. You may have other things. You know, it maybe go for a walk. It might be, you know, get up before the rest of the family to have that quiet half an hour. It can be quite idiosyncratic these things. So next, you you want to look at what's what's the best time to do this? You know, for practical reasons, but also making use of those uh, naturally occurring motivating operations. So when am I more likely to want to do this? Okay, and and that that leads quite nicely onto uh, the idea of response effort, reducing response effort, which is uh, a, a key intervention strategy in, in behavior analysis. So so staying with the yoga example, how can I organize my environment so that it's easy to do the yoga session? This I, I always describe uh, these strategies as making it easy to do the right thing, stacking the deck in your favor, don't rely on willpower. Don't rely on memory. <laughs> you, know, it's, it, you, you don't have to do that. You, you can use the technology. So are you more energized first thing in the morning or later in the day? If you decide that it's uh, first thing in the morning, then maybe that's what you write in your plan. You know, Yeah. I've mentioned behavioral chains. Uh, a, a great way of making a new behavior habitual is to link it to a, a, an existing Behavior. So what I think of as, as as anchor behavior, something that you always do every day. So so you might decide now that you'll you'll write down uh, on your plan, and the plan shouldn't be this big elaborate thing. You know this is this is just a, a couple of sentences. After having my first coffee of the morning, I'll go into the living room and I'll exercise for 30 minutes to the yoga DVD. Put, put that somewhere visible that seems to help seems to act as a prompt and there's some reactivity there so well, there's uh, some having,
0: social, social monitoring isn't there then because if you it know helps listen, that as well. like that. Uh, by the way yeah. you should be doing this right
1: now exactly yeah. and you want to recruit that you know you want to yeah. get people um to, to to help you with that and 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 look at what else you can do to reduce response effort you know having maybe having the dvd ready the night before maybe having the the workout gear uh, Ready. Anything that that makes it easier to to do that. And I'm. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier, didn't I, with reminders on a phone, um, mm. part of our earlier discussion. I, I'm a huge fan of using technology in in a really simple way. So I, one of my um, very necessary well-being enhancing behaviours is to get up from my desk, and that's something that lots of people who work from home find. There's actual research that says if you work from home, you tend to work longer, longer hours. And a lot of people don't get up from, from their desk. And I I get a bit of lower back pain and I get eye strain if um if I spend hours in front of the computer. And it's really easy to do. So one of my strategies is I sit down at the computer, I set the alarm for a maximum of an hour and a half. And and it actually, when the alarm goes off, it has uh, a message on there that says, get up, move, uh, as a prompt <laughs> to actually go and do something. And, and I will, I'll get, I'll go downstairs. I will do something physical, uh, even if it's washing up, it, you know, it can be nicer things. It can be going for a walk with the dog, but something that involves me being away from the mm. com- uh, computer for, uh, uh, for a little while. So, so, you know, that's a very simple antecedent,
0: prompt that can be uh, it's interesting isn't it like, what what i'm hearing there is what i think i often would describe to people in terms of when they're going to do something like start behaving because then you can contact contingencies whereas if you're just involved in this world of self-talk and discounting you'll just continue well look, if i just slog at this for ages now i can get the reinforcer of escape later yeah. Yes. But Then you know this whole idea of well, I'm a terrible procrastinator, so I will end up working later yeah. today because I've made lots of different excuses, and <laughs> along in the meantime, and just going to the other way. I'm just going, you know, oh, I'm going to have this now because I can, and I can avoid it now, so I will. Um, but then, it, you know, it's much like you know people talking themselves out of behaviour change procedures or cultural change procedures, or oh, that won't work because of this, or you know unhealthy risk assessment environments which you know i'm not saying never do a risk assessment but you know the way that people will write down how to basically their, their contingency are, are contingencies are obvious i doing everything they can to escape doing something because they mm. think something else will happen even if it's not necessarily foreseeable so more often than not if you start behaving in contacting contingency you can then make better decisions so so your strategy there of you know Absolutely. at the end and a half enables you to just contact something right
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and there's research from other disciplines that 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 supports that. That if you if you make uh, one positive change in terms of your uh, uh, your your everyday behaviour, uh, you're more likely in the future to make other changes. You start, you 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 uh, get that momentum
0: going. You know? <laughs> Go back to the point we were making earlier about kind of phasing ourselves out you can almost like see the the motivational speaker title or somebody that goes up you know be the change you want to see that that kind of thing exactly. <laughs> but, it, but it's true like you start to layer in measurement and procedures and so on and, and think about explaining the environmental relations kind of comfortable behavior rather than mentalistic but no absolutely okay is, is there anything else you wanted to add on that because i think you know, for me, I've taken a lot from our conversation today around, um, you know, going back to kind of making it simple for people to access in terms of behavioral change procedures or, or contextual change or, um, cultural change. I got a real sense from you of, um, if you make it accessible to people, then it will become something they will do and fluency will build because obviously, um, they are contacting reinforcements, like behaviour goes with reinforcement flows, as they say. Um, and then our specific example around working from home seems to be around um, stack the environment in your favour or, you know, make sure that, you you know, your contingencies are going to become apparent to you invisible and, and contactable and, and, and will be selective. Anything else you want to say in terms of wrapping up in regards to this kind of idea of um, I guess making behaviour analysis acceptable, maybe, maybe uh, uh, sorry, acceptable, <laughs> accessible. I think syllables are right around.
1: I, I think that I, I guess there's a, a, a that accessibility is something of a thread through throughout this this talk. And you asked that question about how do we uh, how, for example, could we as behaviour analysts have a bigger impact on the world now, you know, in the future mm-hmm. with regard to uh, the types of issues that, that we're facing. And, and I think again, if we, if we increase the response effort required to actually understand what we're talking about, then we're going to struggle with that. So it's for me, there, we as a field have to have the science. It can never be diluted. It can never be dismissed, but we can behave in a way that is consistent with the science, and also explain things to people so that they understand them and build rapport, and and in, in my view, um,
0: affect change on a much much wider scale. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I think we might leave it there, Nick. I mean, that seems to wrap it up really nicely. Um, obviously, just to reiterate, you know, thank you so much for your time. I know you're. <clears throat> You're a busy man, and, and it, it, we really appreciate it. And we've only got to look at your list of things that you have done or are doing to realise that this is a, uh, a, a really uh, appreciative of your time and effort today. So thank you very much. Um, obviously, for those of you that are interested in the, in the CEUs, they will be will be available, and instructions on how to get those will be on the website. Just remains to say, thank you very much, Nick. And um, you know, hopefully we get to talk again, possibly face to face. I had to bump into a colleague yesterday and it was like genuinely exciting to see a new real human. Indeed, (laughs) indeed. (laughs) It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Uh, Thanks for your time.